This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the New Books Network. Confounding, exhilarating, and contagious. Emotions matter, and so does applying emotional intelligence. Welcome to Dan Hill's EQ Spotlight, the podcast where emotions rule. Whatever the topic, how do hearts and minds collide? Find out with your host, a college professor turned globetrotting EQ entrepreneur. His mission? Each week, Dan joins prominent authors in decoding how emotions drive outcomes and make people tick. Now, on to the show. Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining me for the 63rd episode of my podcast, Dan Hill's EQ Spotlight. The series appears here on the New Books Network, which has as its motto, sharing knowledge so people can thrive. Today's topic is how influences are, influencers are shifting marketing dollars. I'm joined by Gordon Gleneister. He is the author of Influencer Marketing Strategy, How to Create Successful Influencer Marketing. The publisher is Kogan Page. Gordon is based in Cambridgeshire, UK. He's a global head of influencer marketing for the Branded Content Marketing Association. He's also the host of the Influence podcast, uh, which goes out globally. And he was previously the director general of the British Promotional Merchandise Association for more than a decade. Welcome to the show, Gordon. Uh, Welcome, Dan. Lovely to be here. Great. So uh, give us a brief overview of the book, if you don't mind. We'll, we'll start there. So, uh, yeah, um, it took me like 18 months to write. Um, it's really quite interesting, actually, because I'd come from the sort of uh, merch or swag industry before. And it was back in uh, 2018 that I set, I left the association and set up my own membership consultancy. Uh, And I met up with an old friend of mine who ran the Branded Content Marketing Association. And I said to him, you know, there's this growth in influencers that have been meteoric. Um, But I was really concerned that nobody was sort of really representing them uh, from an association point of view. Uh, Because there's been a bit of bad press sometimes and there wasn't really much regulation, a bit like the Wild West, really. And so um, what I felt was there was a real need to have some form of representation in the sector. So we created a a new division of the Branded Content Marketing Association for influencers. And it wasn't long after that that I went to uh, an exhibit marketing show, actually. And I happened to see Kogan Page uh, exhibiting there. And I went over and spoke to them and I said, um, just out of interest, do you have a book on influencer marketing? 
and surprise, surprise, they didn't. <laughs> so um, <laughs> I, I, um, I thought, oh, this is uh, interesting. So in a nutshell, I decided to pitch the idea to the publishers, not thinking for a moment that they'd accept um, my proposal for a book on influencer marketing strategy. Given the position that I was in and the potential opportunities for me to engage with the industry you know, on a global scale, I was connecting with brands, I was connecting with influencers, I was connecting with uh, other people. So I thought, actually, it would be quite a good, good, good uh, book to write, not just from my own perspective, but reaching out to a number of other people. So what I've been able to do, Dan, is to interview a number of these people and their journey as well. Um, And obviously, also create a glossary of of uh, terms because there's lots of terms around the influencer space which some people may be unfamiliar with um uh lists of influencer marketing platforms because you know sourcing influences is still one of the biggest challenges so there are now lots of uh, uh, platforms and sourcing tools that enable you to do that Uh, and obviously just showing people what is what influencer marketing strategy is all about and how to do it properly because I think there is still a massive education about what it takes to not only be influential, but actually reach influencers and connect with them as business owners. So that's the premise of how the book really came about. And it was uh, uh, we was published in America at the end of March 21, so not a lot long ago. Sure. No, well, first of all, I have to say it's fortuitous how you got to Kogan Page. In my case, since I've published two books with them, I was going to be meeting with an ad agency in London, and the guy had been fogged in trying to come down from Manchester. And lo and behold, the person sitting next to me in the lobby was from Kogan Page and was looking at my book and saying, Ah, is this represented in the UK? And uh, no. And uh, lo and behold, we ended up making a deal. Um, so let's talk about trust, because it seems to me that a lot of this book is ultimately about whether or not the the brands have a lot of trustworthiness to them and trying to find that because after all trust is often called the emotion of business mm. can you talk to me about the the trust dynamic as it as it applies to influencers well um obviously we're dealing with human beings here and uh, there's a variety of, <laughs> indeed a variety of people uh, in all different guises um there was a, there was some research recently done um that suggested particularly amongst millennials and Gen Z, that they just don't trust traditional advertising and brands in the way that they just don't like being sold to in a way. Um, and they find better connections with with influencers, with content creators, with friends and families. And now that's why you're starting to see all sorts of organizations realize the value in working with influencers uh, and working with um, with online communities, brand communities, of which often are spearheaded by, by influencers. That said, of course, not all influencers are trustworthy. And it is very, very important that uh, as a brand or organization that you do your due diligence and uh, you know because in the a while ago influencers were largely used as sort of brand amplifiers to build brand awareness but now they've been you know such as the uh, the way the industry has grown and the technology that has supported it now they are really driving sales and performance-related marketing, which is very, very exciting. Particularly when you see what's happening in in America, in uh, oh, sorry, oh, in China, with sort of live streaming. Um, but just as I was talking about trust, 
um, what you want to do is you want to make sure that people haven't bought followers. Um, you want to yeah. make sure that there is real authenticity in the individual and in the content that they're creating, because that ironically is one of the, it is the greatest strengths in working with uh, influencers is they are authentic. You know, they are relatable. Um, they often have niche audiences, which for a brand is absolutely liquid gold. So in the same way that you might want to hire somebody to work with you, you're not just going to go out to the street and say, do you want to work for me? You're going to um, look at some resumes, aren't you? You're going to do your do your checking. Uh, well, that's what you should be doing. Sometimes people don't do that. They just reach out to on Instagram or or Facebook or LinkedIn and think, actually, these guys have got a big audience. I'm sure they'd be apt to supporting and promoting my um, my product. Well, surprise, surprise, a lot of them won't. 65% of influencers ignore or, you know, yeah, ignore outreach emails from, from organizations and they can't understand why they haven't had a response. Well, there's a method. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, that's crazy because obviously they have their own brands. I mean, they are media companies in some cases themselves. I they mean, are indeed. They are indeed. If you're going to form a merger and acquisition, you would certainly do your due diligence on what was the brand you hope to align yourself with. Mm, mm, absolutely, for sure. Yeah, yeah. So, so these these uh, it's in your book, and I, I thought it was very useful because I'm also trying to get oriented to this space, just like you were at one point before you began the book, or as you were beginning the book. You, you mentioned that about uh, average age is somewhere in the range of 28, and about 77 percent of them are female. So, you mentioned relatable. Uh, those are interesting statistics. Why is it uh, go those two directions in terms of age and gender? Well, I think for, and, and I'm absolutely fascinated by what I would call largely social media influencers as opposed to B2B influencers. There is a, there, okay. is, a, there is a real difference between the two. So uh, particularly sectors like uh, fashion, beauty, lifestyle, uh, food, drink, um, entertainment, sport has been dominated by women. And, and some of the results of influencer marketing has been unbelievable i mean i know some of these um these influencer platforms reward style is one in particular um 90 of the 90 of their influencers are all women on their platform and some of them are earning i mean unbelievable amounts of money and they're earning it not through just brand posts they're earning it through affiliate marketing links and why that's important is because that's very, you know, ROI driven. In other words, if they're earning fifty to sixty thousand dollars and more per month, think what they're generating for that brand. It's going to be considerably higher than that. Um, when in often affiliate, uh, disc, you know, commissions are could be around sort of five or ten percent. So you can imagine what they're generating for the brand. Um, and uh, yeah, it's been uh, it's been quite phenomenal. Lots and lots of female entrepreneurs have been created out of that, and obviously, organisations are realising they're not just now amplifying other people's brands; they're co-creating their own brand extensions. And this is particularly true. I mentioned briefly around China. So some of the big the big organisations, the big manufacturers of clothing, are realising now, and designers as well, are realising that. Um, 
these influencers have got ready-made audiences. We've got the the factory, we've got the design skills, we've got all of the rest of it. Um, let's just co-create a, a fashion line for said influencer. And there've been very much. There's been lots of examples of this with um, beauty lines and swimwear co collaborations, and 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 you may have heard of this um, before, where they they sell out in like hours. Uh, you know, it, <laughs> it, it is incredible because they have such a relatable audience. Um, that said, of course, they've got to make sure that the partnerships that they that they work with are meet their match as well because unfortunately social media works both ways yeah um, unfortunately if people are unhappy about a service they're going to let you know about it and they're going to let you know it in front of your follower base so the influencer knows that getting that content that community and the relationship with their followers right is uppermost to them yeah, no, their brand equity is invested as well exactly. and can corrode right in front of their very eyes and ears uh, if, it, if it gets uh, subverted in some fashion. Just a, a wild question, but as you were talking about China and you know tying the factory to almost the influencer voice, has any company gone as far as to put an influencer on their board of directors yet? Mm. Um, good question. Um, I've no idea, to be honest. But, uh, it, it seems was- like they could and should almost. These are, these are really their... Uh, this yeah. is their opportunity to connect to the market. So here's the thing, Dan. I think a lot of the people that are in this space, particularly those uh, younger, um, you know, Gen Z and millennials, are have been brought up as being digital natives. So you're not just yep. investing in somebody that can grow an audience. Um, they have an absolute um, understanding of the numbers, of the analytics. They know what type of content works. They they know when and what time to post, so they are consistent in what they do. Um, that's why yeah. they'll often say, oh, I, I post my videos up on a Thursday morning. Um, look out for it. So they're building awareness. They're, be, they're building excitement. Um, I mean, they're, they're almost filmmakers. They're producers. <laughs> um, they're sure. location scouts. They're website designers. They're, they're email drivers. They are, they're on it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I find it fascinating for a couple of directions, still staying with gender for just a moment. One is I know in the U.S., because I just had a guest on talking about uh, pitches and entrepreneurs and venture capitalists. Unfortunately, in America, uh, to this day, even though women own 38% of the businesses, 2% of the venture capital money goes to female startups, startup founders, just 2%. Wow. Yeah. Uh, and, and at the same time, women are generally speaking, the primary buyers, Marty Barletta, Tom Peters have, have both written about, you know, female buyers really dominated most fields. Uh, so it seems to me, going back to your term relatable, uh, that this all kind of sinks together to me. These are people finding their way forward. They're not waiting for the VC money. Uh, they can be relatable. They're, they're consumers themselves. Do they in their, because you, you would know this world better than I certainly do, are they in the way in which they build their brands and being relatable? Are they really encoding it with their experiences and point of view as females and in a world that's frankly still often quite sexist? Yeah. So the other good thing is is that as they grow bigger, um, what what they often are doing is not just talking about they're, they're, they're becoming opinion formers in their own right. So they'll have they'll have okay. positions on certain things. That's why they won't accept. Um, collaborations with with brands that are going against their brand values. 
So that's why we use the word collaboration a lot, because that's what a brand should always see an influencer as, as a collaborator, not as an employee, not as a service provider, but as an absolute yep. collaborator. How can we both benefit? You get you get brand awareness, engagement for what you're doing. Um, I get is great content. I get opportunities for my followers to uh, to maybe get a discount or to see different types of products. Um, it's also worth mentioning when you are trying to work with an influencer is what what you are trying to do. What influencers don't like to be is told what to do. <laughs> um, yeah. they, are, they are natural content creators. So bring them into the discussions or opportunities much earlier on. You know, um, you know when you reach out to them, you know, we, we love, re- recognize them. I call it the tickling the toes. Um, before you ever reach out to an influencer, please comment or like what they are doing. Um, because they are, if they start to see you and know that, you know, you've reached out to them based upon what they're already doing, then this is the this is the first part of building a really great relationship. And the great, the, the best influencer partnerships are based are, are based on on relationships uh, and longer term partnerships as well, rather than just you know one stop campaigns. Um, you know where you're where the f- the influence of followers start to see that brand doing things with them on a much more regular basis. Um, the other thing is, is that influencers want access to things that perhaps other people don't get. And that might be um, a behind the scenes look at your business or factory uh, or VIP access to an event. Not because they want it just for themselves. It's because actually what they want to do is bring their audience with them. So that, yep. you know, it's, it's almost like, um, you know, you know well, using the welcoming hand on video. So look, look, come on, come on, look. look this is where we're going. And, and you, you know, if you're a brand, I think how amazing that is. You're, you're opening up to a, this huge audience. Um, and, sure, and, and you're providing novelty and authenticity by indeed. getting that. Yeah, indeed, indeed, indeed. And that's why stuff like makeup tutorials have been so important. It's not just about, oh, here's the latest makeup from um, from a particular makeup brand. No, no, this is, oh, I'm so excited to have this. This is super cool. And this is how you can use it to make a difference to your life. And so therefore, you've almost got, you've got education and promotion and inspiration and entertainment all rolled up into one. And that is the magic formula for creating great content. Okay. Well, before we leave the uh, startup space, I have to bring up this question. Since you uh, wrote a book on influencer marketing and then you're launching a book yourself, uh, you set the standard high. So how did you tackle and make use of this whole paradigm? Of, of influence, uh, you mean uh, related yes. to the book, you mean? Yeah, yeah, yes, yeah. Yes, and, and you're launching your, your book with such content and uh, obviously wanting to be a successful influencer yourself. Yeah, so um, so this is really interesting because um, I had best laid plans to have a, a book launch in a private members club, really nice, bring loads of friends, maybe some family and, you know, people that have uh, supported me I with people I've interviewed and that sort of stuff and have a glass of champagne and just, uh, yeah, just celebrate it as many authors would like to do. However, of course, in March this year, we were still in lockdown or there were limited amounts of events going on to be hardly any, to be honest. 
so because of the way that the publishers had worked um, on their production schedule, I didn't have much choice. So we ran an online book launch, which was absolutely fascinating because it allowed for people all around the world to uh, to join. And because it was at seven o'clock in the evening UK time, we had a number of American visitors as well. Um, lots of fun, um, lots of engagement in the chat. I gave away some books for a quick fire quiz. Um, I always ask a question, who's the most influential person been in your life, life and why? And that always creates a lot of uh, engagement. Um, yeah. But mirrored to that, Dan, we were talking about this earlier, weren't we, um, is the LinkedIn post that I did. So bearing in mind, this was my, this was my launch LinkedIn post. It had to work. I, you know, if this, <laughs> if this didn't work, I'm like dead in the water. So um, I just created a really nice picture of me with my books and a table at home, um, and I used it to say thank you very much. This has been a, this has been a really fascinating journey. There's been some ups and downs, um, as there often is for novelists and authors. Um, and um, all the people that have helped contribute me to contribute to, to, to me um, during the book. And anyway, this it's oh, and then also I reached out by, um, to about six or seven people before on WhatsApp, and I said, "Look, guys, it's a big it's a big post. This <laughs> can, you, can you can you comment? I know the way the LinkedIn algorithm works. Can you comment fairly quickly?" <laughs> and uh, sure, enough, sure enough, they did. And uh, the the, the uh, results speak for themselves. So I got over sixteen thousand views, one hundred and thirty-three comments, and fifteen reshares. So um, that was quite a fascinating uh, journey, and it's it's gone on from there. But I mean, the moral of this is is that if you want to be influential, then you've got to be consistent in what you say, how you say it, day in day out. That is, uh, and and also be a storyteller. Don't be don't be constantly trying to promote and use what I would call you know um, old fashioned sales. Is it's about trying to build relationships with people, uh, educate them, inspire uh, them, and entertain them. You know, if you can be a bit funny as well, well that works. Look at TikTok, for example. <laughs> sure. Well, it, it strikes me that's part of this movement here. It used to be in advertising, you talked about persuasion, which I always thought was fairly insane that in 30 seconds, you know, in a TV spot, you're supposed to, you know, change someone's worldview. It influences a little bit softer, but it also strikes me that it's it's less about reason and more about emotion. Totally when I think about influence, I think about friends. When I think about persuasion, I'm thinking, I'm going to make a logical argument that A equals B, you know, and you should be buying C. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, honestly, I have been so amazed by some of these uh, younger people. I'm super impressed with not just what they say, but even the type of video content, the transitions, the 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 music. I mean, they're little mini filmmakers. Some of them. I mean, you must sure. have been here as well, don't you think? Yeah. I mean, it's oh, it, oh absolutely. It, it, it's it's what it's doing is it's bringing brands to life in a way that sometimes even they have not seen. And this is another reason why influencers can be so successful because they can work to a brief and they can interpret it in a way that the brand has never even thought possible. Yeah, no, I, I think it's all in this day and age, we're so saturated. I, I think it's a lot about the imagery and it's about the the voice or perspective of the values that you're bringing. Uh, so when I worked in the industry as a market researcher, I was amazed by how few market researchers were what I would call visually literate and emotionally literate. Mm. 
And I just thought they were way out of date as to where the society is moving and what's going to connect with people and what kind of skill set you needed. So you mentioned the word algorithm just a bit ago. I want to come back to that because, you know, the tyranny of the algorithms yeah, <laughs> is very really. much with us these days. Yeah. So let's take us through briefly before we run out of time here. I just wanted to, and you can take this as you'd like, but obviously you have lots of different platforms from Instagram to Twitter and LinkedIn and so forth, Facebook. Do you want to just go a little bit into each of those and, and how the angles might change in terms of how influencer marketing works best and the pitfalls? Well, I mean, obviously, it depends on your type of product or service, doesn't it? I mean, if you had a, uh, a financial product, um, perhaps Instagram uh, and YouTube are, are less relevant to you than if you had uh, LinkedIn and Twitter. So that's why I was re- alluding to sort of B2B influencers, who, by the way, would not necessarily refer to to them as such they may well be seen as a as an expert a speaker an author but funny enough they all possess influence if they are going to change the behavior in some shape or form of their audience um so a, a lot of just on the b2b side by the way on linkedin and twitter a lot of that is about um uh articles co-creation content um uh, you know, working with speakers as well is, is you know, so not just about prom- pr- promoting speaker sessions, but um, it's about w- what your take on a subject. I always say if you're, if you're on LinkedIn, don't just promote uh, articles all of the time and be seen to be commenting on other people's uh, content that are in your target niche um, because that's when you are... Um, you know, you're showing up, people are seeing, oh, that's an interesting perspective that Gordon has there. And um, and they'll, they'll then want to discover and find out more about you. So um, Twitter tends to be used a lot, of course, by journalists. So, and it's very much instant conversation. Uh, it uh, One of the things that I got involved with uh, last year was a group called uh, Forgotten Limited, who were a lobbying group trying to support um uh, small to medium-sized businesses that have been left out by funding. So I got involved in a Twitter bomb. I don't know if you've ever heard of that before, have you? But um, basically, the organisers just pretty much said, right, we're going to try and lobby uh, government and we're going to try and trend. So they got the whole of this group to literally at 8 o'clock one evening um, to um, you know get involved in comments. And obviously, we, we liked and we shared everybody else's. And sure enough, within a very short period of time, we were trending on Twitter. So it just proves how much you can move the needle, but if you do it um, in a coordinated way. Um, with Instagram, um, obviously, you know, there are um, it, it's great for fashion, lifestyle brands like that food as well works really anything that's sort of visually stimulating um i mean obviously what the algorithms are looking for is is relevance consistency of of content and making sure that people are liking liking your content very very quickly because that will sort of push it out to to a wider audience um i love reels as well what people are doing i mean i'm i'm sort of less I don't know about you, Dan, but I'm a less fan of a video. There is a bit of video on my Instagram, but I don't do much of it, if I'm honest. I'm just so overwhelmed by some of the other people that are doing it, <laughs> if I'm honest. There's a lot of talented people out there. Yes. There's a lot of talented people. And sometimes I, I know what people feel like. Oh, I don't feel good enough to do it. you know. And what I would say, though, is bite-sized chunks. 
So I'm I've just done a something recently at the lakes near where I live, which is um, uh, three bite-sized tips from the lake. So it's effectively it's about helping and educating your audience, but doing it in a fun and engaging way. So uh, the idea is is that you stand out because I'm at the lake and I constantly go. Oh, it's beautiful setting that Gordon has. That that's the sort of idea behind that. Um, um, what else? Uh, YouTube, of course, long form content works really well with YouTube. So this is much more about um, uh, series. Stuff like, um, I mean, look at the, look at how we've loved Netflix series as opposed to uh, films. You know, we 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 sort of um, you know deep dive into content, don't we? And we keep going back to it time and time again. And this is a period. I mean, one of my influencer friends, who's a uh, who's a twenty four year old actually, uh, she does a lot of comedy on uh, TikTok. She generated twenty four million views just by doing a series so she did a, she did she did a lot of the video but she broke it down into bite-sized chunks and what that meant is is that people were, were oh this, this was really good and then she'd say at the end of it and if you want to see more don't forget to uh tune into the next episode so she's really locking them in on this sort of journey um but there's lots of gr- other great examples of of how the platforms are really helping people and of course tiktok we mentioned briefly there I don't know if you're on TikTok. I'm not really, but uh, uh, its its biggest audience is under forty, uh, and uh, yeah, it's broadening out now. Of course, it was very much sort of uh, entertainment driven, but now you're getting uh, B to some B to B there. I mean, I, I saw once an American lawyer out there that had really done so well because he realised that none of my competitors are here. <laughs> are be, in that space, yeah. I'm going to be the go-to lawyer and I'm going to bring entertainment to uh, helping people, you know, get a mortgage or get a loan. And I thought, smart, you know. It's all about finding your voice, finding your niche and doing it really, really well. Yeah, no, uh, definitely agree. One last question here before we wrap up. I'm curious about companies managing to, I guess, uh, collaborate with their own employees as mm. as uh, influencers. Are there companies that have done this particularly well or really faltered in their attempts? Well, this is a massive growth area, to be honest. Um, I've actually just written a report, actually, with uh, influencer marketing platform Analytica, um, which is the social CEO. And we've looked at the um, uh, LinkedIn Twitter accounts of over 300 CEOs of membership bodies and trade associations who have um, traditionally, of course, uh, some of them in the past would have, you know, managed that with their with their uh, marketing or social media team. And what we've been saying, never before has it been important for CEOs and indeed their employees to be great advocates. So we're going to see as a trend, uh, I think, an explosion in thought leaders um, within organizations for sure but um, that has to come from the top you know and I think the more that we get CEOs breaking away from the from the corporate stance and let us see them with their shirt sleeves down and you know and uh, and, and I must admit that's what's been great about Zoom isn't it We've seen, we've started to see people in their natural home environments rather than their ivory corporate towers. And how sure. how, dif- how different do we feel then? We feel totally relatable that the cat suddenly comes into the to the uh, 
to the Zoom call. And that's all part of breaking down some of these stereotypical barriers. So um, I, I think employees that are naturally talented, uh, technical experts are absolutely set to be influencers. Well, I also think it's going to be interesting because it makes the employees, I mean, there's a lot of complaints that uh, we're in a mode of replacement workers and we just churn through them. Well, you're not going to want to churn through people who are, you know, bringing you market share and, uh, you know, becoming, in effect, the voice of your your company absolutely uh, through their successes as an influencer. Anyway, this has been all fascinating stuff, but uh, time is pretty much up. Gordon, I want to thank you so much for being my guest. This has been episode number 63 of Dan Hill's EQ Spotlight. My guest, Gordon Glenister, he is the author of Influencer Marketing Strategy, How to Create Successful Influencer Marketing. If you've enjoyed today's show, please give it a rating or review on iTunes. You can check out other episodes by going to my company's website at the obligatory three W's, sensorylogic.com. You can also go to the New Books Network and type in the show's name and find other episodes in that way. Finally, I like to conclude every episode with typically an epigram, but I'm going to go with two epigrams in this case, one serious and one more lighthearted, both having to do with influencing. The first more businessy one comes from Ken, Ken Blanchard, who said, the key to successful leadership today is influence, not authority, speaking of CEOs and from the top down. The second one, much more lighthearted, comes from Mark Twain, who says, clothes make the man, naked people have little or no influence in society. Until next time, be kind and stay safe. Mm-hmm.